morning, uh, we have a story about a short man. Where's my short people at? Like, this is our moment, right, in Scripture. And we got a story about a wealthy man. Where are my wealthy? No, I'm playing. No. Um, and he is in this really precarious situation where he is not only the chief tax collector, which means in that context, in that community, uh, you're wildly hated. You're despised. Um, but he's also so short he can't see Jesus for himself that he's heard is coming. And his own community, we can by implication kind of figure out, has crowded him out to being able to see him, to coming close to the road where Jesus might be walking. Instead, he is left alone with his short stature, with his wealth, to go by other means to see him. So he climbs a tree. It's fascinating how this person would be so interested in a poor rabbi coming through town. This man that he has heard about his healing and his teaching, this man Zacchaeus wants to see. He just wants to lay eyes on him. I, when I read this, when I, every time I read the story, I think, why? What must have gripped Zacchaeus that he would be so curious to go to these lengths to see this man? It must have been a buzz. And in this story uh, of, of a man, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, who's wandering and healing and teaching, you have this man, Zacchaeus, who is, has benefited from the unjust arrangements, the sort of unrighteous dealings of Roman occupation and that whole enterprise at the expense of his own community. So what happens then when you have someone like this, someone like Zacchaeus, someone unjust, someone who is willingly benefiting from injustice of their own neighbors? What happens when someone like that comes in contact with the person of justice himself? And not only justice, but the person of grace and mercy. You can see how this is going to be an interesting... Imagine you've never heard the story. That's a fascinating question, isn't it? What happens when two people like that meet? Let's look at Luke chapter 19 where we find Jesus traveling through Jericho and this towering man of a success in the world, Zacchaeus, is ironically so short that he has to ascend a tree to see him. And just before this story in chapter 18, you, you remember there was another story about a rich young ruler who came in contact with Jesus. So what happens when this rich guy, the short rich guy, comes in contact with Jesus? Well, to the rich young ruler, Jesus called him to fulfill the law, to which he said, well, I have my whole life, ever since I was a kid. And then he asked him to give everything he had to the poor, and he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He came asking, how do I inherit eternal life? And he walked away empty-handed, almost fulfilling Mary's song. Also keep in mind, Jesus was openly criticized at this point for hanging out with, literally the criticism was, sinners and tax collectors. Well, we have it in one man, Zacchaeus. What is Jesus going to do when he encounters the very person that is exposing him to so much trouble and criticism and harassment? There will be repercussions for Jesus on how he deals with this person. So what's going to happen next when this sinner comes in contact with Israel's Messiah? When Jesus came to the place, Scripture says, he looked upon him and called him down from the tree saying, I must stay at your house today. <laughs> this is, okay, this is what I'm saying. It kind of blows my mind. You have all this buildup, this whole like chapters and chapters and chapters of like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And the first thing that happens is Jesus turns to Zacchaeus up in a tree. Bro, what are you doing? I got to eat at your place and I get down here. The, the simplicity of this. The humanity. There was no sort of 
broad theological teaching. There was no piercing sort of indictment. It was an invitation. Zacchaeus, what are you doing, my man? Come down. I've got to eat at your house tonight. And in Zacchaeus, you see something just as astounding in his response. Nothing, not up front, very profound, but you see this short little man, this wee little man, as the song goes, hurrying. We know the song? Zacchaeus? Okay, I won't sing it. He hurries down to meet Jesus, to receive this welcome, like an eager child who's finally given attention, who's finally noticed. He had such urgency and joy. He was anticipating something about this man. And I bet, this is not, I mean, we don't know, but I bet Zacchaeus didn't know why he was so interested and so fascinated about Jesus until Jesus called to him and then immediately was like, oh yeah, you're staying at my house tonight. And with such joy, he scurries down the tree. Divine grace had come close to this person in need. Divine grace had moved into the neighborhood of Zacchaeus. And just by his presence, it seems, seemed that things were being made right. Just by Jesus' mere invitation, it seemed like reconciliation was already happening. Forgiveness was underway. And so immediately we see the person that it seems like the psalmist may be describing. Happier those who trans, whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. You see this in Zacchaeus. He knows what's about to happen. Now juxtapose Zacchaeus' response to Jesus, to the crowd that was around Zacchaeus, that had crowded him out. Put those side by side, side by side, and you see that the righteous grumbled in disapproval, verse 7 says. Verse 7, they grumbled in disapproval, and in verse 8, Zacchaeus confesses his sin and promises Promises restitution, reconciliation, reparations even to such a sacrificial extent. And even more stunning, this is what Jesus says in verse 9. This is all like within three verses, y'all. They grumbled, he confessed, made things right, promised to make things right. And then in verse 9, Jesus says this, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. Wait, 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 wait. All of the evangelical bones in our body like, wait, (laughs) hold up. He didn't confess with his mouth that Jesus is Lord. Like he didn't receive Jesus into his heart, did he? I don't know, maybe he did. Something was happening from in the tree and down the tree and in the invitation, something was happening. Grace had drawn near to this person and grace, divine grace, was so compelling to Zacchaeus that immediately something was triggered, converted. I'm going to make everything right in my life because God has made everything right with me. Divine grace had compelled him into a new way of life. And Jesus wraps it up saying, see, salvation has come to this house. So maybe salvation isn't just a personal relationship with Jesus, although it is. Maybe salvation isn't just a sort of disposition of your heart, an inner spirituality. This is necessary. Don't get me wrong. But it seems as if what Jesus is revealing to us is salvation permeates the whole of life in and out. Reconciliation with God and you compels us to reconciliation with our neighbors. Almost as if it corresponds to the great commandment of love. To love God and your neighbors. Y'all see this? Woo, this is going to cause some trouble in our lives. If this is true, salvation has come to you. Might that have an impact this way to those around you? 
Jesus in this moment finds Zacchaeus dead in his sin in a tree, full of greed and wrongdoing, a wreck of his life. And at that costly invitation of grace that Jesus gives to him, because it was not cheap, it is costly, Jesus extends to Zacchaeus a gift. It's almost as if Jesus calls him down from his tree of sin to replace him. Anticipating what he will do, not only for Zacchaeus ascending that tree of condemnation and sin, but he does for all of those who receive his invitation to come and eat with him. This is a costly grace, friends. What Jesus is inviting us into to come and eat with him is no cheap thing, but comes at the cost of his own body, his own life. This is what divine grace does. It is so self-giving, it's uncomfortably self-giving, but it also renews you and the whole world. This is where history is heading. This is why he is here. In fact, this is what Jesus says, I have come to seek and save the lost. This is what he's doing in this story. Zacchaeus, in other words, was called into another kind of death with Jesus. It wasn't just repenting, sort of with his words, but he, he was involved now in a sacrifice, a giving up, a repentance. His response to grace leads him to a very costly confession, a very costly change and about face in his life, and a commitment to do something different, to make things right. This is the only thing that matters in this exchange with Jesus and Zacchaeus, repentance and restoration. Like the psalmist says, we just prayed this together. I acknowledged my sin before the Lord. And I did not hide my iniquity. And the psalmist says, and I was forgiven. Think of all the other things that Zacchaeus could have done. He could have said, well, maybe Jesus doesn't know about all this. And maybe he's confused me with someone else and we'll just hang out anyways. That's awesome. He could have been tempted like the psalmist to remain silent to not bring it up, to not speak of it. But he knew that if he continued along this way, his body, his whole life would waste away under the burden of guilt and shame. And friends, guilt and shame is no life-giving motivator. It will do no good in your life. It cannot draw you closer to God. Guilt and shame is a dead end. But when the person of grace comes close to your guilt and shame, you realize you have no need for it. You realize all you can do is give it up and repent and say, no longer do I want to be crushed under this, but I want to acknowledge this sin before the Lord. And what the Lord does, we find, is relieves us of this burden, takes it off our shoulders, and in fact puts it on his own for our sake. Salvation comes to us in this way. Zacchaeus could have justified himself. Well, look, I'm not actually breaking the law. Jesus. I'm actually just taking advantage of sort of certain economic situations and conditions. I'm just smart, you could say. So I should be penalized because I'm smart and I'm super wealthy. He didn't justify himself. Maybe we could in some way identify with um, these tactics of maybe not confessing sin, maybe not owning up to it, maybe justifying ourselves or rationalizing things away. And yet we get on our knees and we repent with these sort of half-hearted tactics of repentance. It's not true and full repentance. 
Maybe we deflect blame or we shift the weight of of guilt to somebody else. Really, it was their fault. Y'all, I know all these tactics because I've done all these tactics, right? I mean, this is how we work. But if we can name this, that if, when, if and when we toil and toil and toil with the death in our bodies, we negotiate with this sin in our lives, that we welcome freely with greed and self-centeredness and sort of a, I built myself up by my, I pulled myself up by my own bootstrap sort of pride. All we have left on our hands is death and a dead end and heaps of guilt and shame, maybe a, a an improved sense of self, but really you might find yourself like Zacchaeus, super wealthy, but with no friends, isolated and alone. We can tell ourselves all the stories we want. Y'all, we can even come into this church with all of our fancy, awesome liturgies and stuff as if to pull a veil over the sin in our lives or to get busy with our sacrifices like we read in Isaiah and all of our feast days and all of our parties as if to sort of distract God from the injustices that we are still cooperating with and complicit in. But friends, religion and its practices and those liturgies are even worse than useless when we use them to cover up sin and guilt and shame and injustice and lack of righteousness. That's not what they're for. We should actually lay them down, set them aside. Not use them at all because we make a mockery of them. These holy and beautiful things are to correspond with a heart who has repented. Who owns up to their sin. Who confesses it before the Lord. Not out of fear or not out of shame or guilt. But because because we know that the Lord is eager to come to us in grace and forgive. And so the liturgies and so the parties are all the more like amazing and profound and energetic. Do you see that? The heart has to correspond with our outward actions. Instead, what God wants is not some sort of dual life, some sort of hypocrisy. He wants something deeper from us. When he comes to reconcile with us, he wants us to reconcile and make things right in the world with him also. Remember in Isaiah from our reading, verse 16, wash yourselves, he says, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. This isn't just a plea because God needs us to like get to work for him. It's not just a, a sort of and motivation to go and do social good. What we're seeing here in all of the witness of Scripture, this Zacchaeus and Isaiah reveal this sort of divine human reconciliation that needs to happen, that is inseparable from that God to, uh, I'm sorry, that human to human reconciliation happens because of this God to human reconciliation. We can't just pursue the good of one another without actually receiving the good that God extends to us through the person of Jesus. It is a whole life, it is a whole salvation that is extended to us. Friends, when we draw, when God draws near to us, which is actually true this morning, we're not just reading about it. We're not just sort of parading around in our liturgies hoping that God shows up. We are sure that God is present to us this morning. Grace is drawn near. And his reconciling and very costly grace is available to us 
this morning. Can you perceive this? Can we pause just for a second in the middle of a sermon and liturgy to check in with reality? Where you are, whatever tree you've scurried up in your sin, or even in the brokenness and the complications of your life, wherever you're at, whatever tree you're up in, grace is drawn near to you this morning. Think about this. Can you perceive this? Don't be lazy. Wake up for a second, y'all. I know you're not lazy. I know you're awake. You've had a lot of coffee. Grace has drawn near to us this morning. Jesus has come to our tree. He is inviting us to come and eat with him this morning. Hallelujah. What's our response? Do we have tactics? Or are we willing and happy to climb down the tree and welcome the Lord again? Take your life as you have it. The situations you've got to deal with right now and tomorrow and this week. The guilt that maybe you even feel, the shame that you might even carry around in your bodies this morning. Grace is drawn near. Grace is the final word here. You don't have to negotiate anymore with this. You don't have to manage it any longer. You can confess it to the Lord. He will take it from you. And grace, like a blanket of mercy, will renew your life. And today, this morning, there's no wait. We come and feast on the love and the grace and the forgiveness of sins that Jesus offers us. Really, truly, whether you think it's possible or not, this is what's on offer this morning and every day in your life. Jesus, friends, has come to seek out and save people like you and me, like Zacchaeus, the lost. And if it's, it's only sometimes my own fault when I'm sort of either not with it, not paying attention, or sort of making excuses for my sin and managing things. But Jesus continues to come to seek us out, to grab us by the shoulders and say, Sean, I'm here. I'm going to eat with you tonight. Give me your sin. Confess it. Be done with it. I'm going to eat with you tonight. What kind of God, what kind of God comes to a people like this, like us, like me, with such eagerness? Of all the things that God of the cosmos could be doing, he wants to eat with us? Does he know who we are? What kind of God leans over the galaxies and into our lives in love full of grace what a mystery this god is that we see so clearly in the person of jesus of nazareth but this is what grace does friends this is what grace does this is who grace is it's jesus and it's such good news and when grace draws near to a community like this and we eat with the person of grace we eat the grace and the forgiveness of sins. We see God not, not only making things right with us, but with one another gathered around this table. This is why we say life together in the goodness of God. It's not like a, hey, come to res, things are super fun here. No, what we're talking about is that picture of grace drawing near to sinners and brokenness and renewing the face of the earth, not only with us to God, but with God and with us to our neighbors. Salvation can come and does come to this house this morning, friends, around this table, to the person of Jesus. Amen. So therefore, if this is the case, can we just kind of 
check in here with reality. If this is really true, and I'm not just sort of just dealing religious rhetoric to make you feel good, okay? This is true. And if it is true, are we not compelled to confess all the more boldly? Let's be done with this business. Are we not compelled to come down from our tree of sin and eat with the Lord? Friends, I mean, don't break the liturgy or anything, but let's hurry to the table this morning. Through confession, let's hurry to our knees to name those things before the Lord and hurry to be with him, to welcome him into our homes as we eat at his table this morning. Amen? Amen. Amen.